So Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, Behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if, it, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Well, I've got a bad habit and I wonder if you share it with me. Uh, when I wake up first in the morning, I'm so quick uh, to look at my phone. And uh, I'm not really sort of hip or young enough to be on that many uh, social media platforms. I'm pretty dull, but I go to uh, the BBC News and I just want to know what the news is. I guess we could look at our phones for a number of different reasons. We might be social media. Again, you're looking for people's news, aren't you? And it got me thinking, why am I interested in news first thing i think normally it's because i'm tired and i'm distracted and i don't really want to get out of bed uh sorry and i want a distraction uh, from the mundanity of of life i want something to sort of thrill me to some extent first thing in the morning but what a stupid place to look the news there is nothing uh, interesting about the news and there is nothing good about the news. Well, that's not what the editors uh, want you to uh, pick up anyway. Bad news is what sells. And I wonder what is my heart searching for? Do you ever uh, look to the news hoping for something to, to cheer you up? You know it's been bad news, but you're just hoping for good news. Uh, maybe you're not as na naive as me, but just let's just say hypothetically... Uh, there was going to be some news on the BBC website that would cheer you up. What do you think would give you a spring in your step? Maybe there's going to be a moderate heat wave for the rest of the summer. Not such a heat wave that you have to feel bad about the environment, but a good enough heat wave you can wear short and t-shirts uh, for the rest of the summer. Uh, maybe actually think, no, much bigger. Maybe you want to read this. Zelensky and Putin embrace each other as brothers and sign long-term peace agreements. And maybe something more profound, something that comes into your personal life a bit more. Cure for cancer. Cure for all cancers discovered. 
And children, imagine your parents uh, wake you up early and they say, we've woken up early early because we've got the best news. What would that news be? We're getting a puppy. We're getting a swimming pool in our garden. We're going to America. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not the last one. I'm not sure. We're banning homework for life. Well, good news is something that we all want. And this morning we read good news in the passage. And the claim this morning is this, that this is literally the best news that there has ever been in history. I guess the challenge is it's not news, is it? It's, it's not new news. It's old news. But it's old news that's still relevant to us today. Because it still impacts our life today. It should be impacting our lives now that we are resurrection people. And I guess the reason why old news is still good for us to recall, because often this is news that just doesn't affect us anymore because we don't think about this news. And I want us to think about the resurrection this morning. And my aim is that the resurrection uh, afresh makes a difference to our lives. And we're going to look at the res- resurrection from three angles this morning. Uh, three things I want to see. Firstly, is the reality of the resurrection. Uh, secondly, the relevance of the resurrection. And so what does it actually mean? And particularly, what is Matthew saying it means? And thirdly, the requirements of the resurrection. Not that I want to burden us with things we have to do, but what difference does it make? What are the implications uh, that the res- resurrection uh, for our lives today, for, for someone who lives in Yorkshire today? So let's start with the, the reality of the resurrection. And, and, and Matthew's been writing this long gospel. It's one of the longest gospel. And the first thing he, I think he's trying to do here with the resurrection, he's, he's at pains to give us the evidence that the resurrection is a historical event uh, that actually happened. Uh, children, if you went into the library, uh, the gospels would not be in the fiction uh, section of the library. They'd be in the non-fiction section of the library or the history section of the, of the library. And Matthew wants us to give us the evidence that it is really history. He starts off in verse 1 by giving us the date and the time, doesn't he? He says the day of the week and the timing as well. Then he gives us the witnesses, as if to say, look, you can go and ask them yourselves, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And he tells us what they saw as well. Uh, The earthquake, verse 2. Angel shining as bright as lightning or, or snow. Uh, moving a huge stone. This is sort of heaven really kissing earth now, entering in and touching. Not just a vision, but, but doing something. The angel moves the stone. The guards falling down and being terrified. Again, more people there. And of course, they, wit- they go into the tomb and they witness that the tomb is empty. Where Jesus' body should have been, it's not there. And then they hear this good news announced by the angels. Uh, by the angel, I beg your pardon. Uh, clearly and plainly what has happened the crucified one that's to say the dead one has risen from the dead now if that's not enough the women they do start to run back they've got a message to tell the disciples but on their way Jesus meets them now he was their best friend he was the one they loved more than anyone else and they both it's not just one crazy witness it's two people seeing the same thing they both see him with their eyes and hear him with their ears Now, of course, again, we could look at the wider Gospels, the wider Bible picture. They are not the only witnesses. 
Many, many people in the scriptures claim to have heard and met and to even touch the risen and resurrected the Lord Jesus. And they gain absolutely nothing uh, by making this claim except the guarantee to have a shorter life expectancy and probably a painful death and yet being able to face that death with confidence. That's the only thing that they gain. There's no ulterior motive. They benefited nothing apart from that confidence. And just briefly, we also see the witnesses of those who denied uh, the resurrection. We saw that in the last sort of uh, uh, five verses, 11 to 15. There was another side to the story. This was a court of law. You'd have the, 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 the defense and the prosecution. Um, you can work out which side be which. Uh, but when we see uh, the evidence for people saying, no, no, this Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we see it doesn't really stack up. Did you see that in verse 13? What's that defense? Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him while we were still asleep. Have you ever tried to tell someone exactly what happened whilst you were asleep? Of course, you can't do it, can you? You were asleep. How do you know what's going on? It's, 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 it's obviously incoherent. The case against is very weak. And we've all, we're also early in Matthew's gospel, given, um, uh, we're given a motive as to why People would want to deny Jesus' resurrection. The only people who would want to agree with Jesus' resurrection is for the eternal life that's promised from they gain nothing else. But those were the case against uh, wanted to deny Jesus' resurrection, wanted to deny everything about Jesus. We're told back in chapter 27, verse 18, that Pilate knew, as if to say, and everyone knew, that the chief priests, the people coming with this case against, were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous of his power, jealous of his reputation, jealous of his popularity. So we see the evidence for Jesus' resurrection and we see the evidence against and we're meant to take a balanced view. And we look and say, surely Jesus has risen from the dead. Of course, there's more to say than that. Now, that is what Matthew here is communicating. Look at the evidence. There's a reality to Jesus' bodily resurrection. Children, do you ever wonder if Christianity is really true? Yeah, you're sure your parents might believe in Christianity, but you know of other people in your school Maybe they're Muslims and maybe they're Hindus. Maybe you meet them in a sports club. Maybe people who just don't believe in other religion, but they certainly don't believe in Christianity. How do you know what you believe is right? Well, the point of the, of the resurrection, one of the points of the resurrection is that everything that Jesus said was true is true. And how else can you possibly prove something more than saying you're going to come back to life again? And then doing it in exactly the manner you said you would. That is the claim of uh, Christianity. That is the claim of resurrection. That there is real certainty. Now we need to extrapolate the meaning from the certainty of the resurrection. But we don't do that before we establish that it's fact. It's true. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, it's not a myth. It's not, not like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. This is fact. This is history. Look at the evidence, is what Matthew is saying. Jesus is raised from the dead, and therefore everything he said about himself, including claims to be God, must be true. So bow down to worship him. So the reality of the resurrection, there is more to say than that, but not less. Now let's consider the relevance of the resurrection. And we'll think about... Uh, I want to see, think about why Jesus' resurrection is relevant both for us in the present 
and for the future. And of course, there's a great overlap between the present and the future. Let's start about the present. Jesus' resurrection means redemption. And redemption in one respect is one of those uh, Bible words um, that it's sort of quite hard to know what I mean. But um, a friend of mine who was this sort of I think he fancied himself as a bit of a Christian film critic. We used to watch a film together and he said, ah, redemption, redemption. I didn't know what he meant. And I realized what he meant was a happy ending, basically. Redemption means a happy ending. Now, it's more specific than that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Bible term uh, as well. But, but in the sense which I'm using it this morning, I, I, I do sort of, in one sense, mean it in, in, in a happy ending sense. In a more technical sense, it means brought back from our sin. And, and that is true as well. But again, it's a theme that we're all craving for, aren't we? So good defeats evil. That's what happens in films, isn't it? Um, The people escape. A relationship is reconciled. Shame becomes glory. Rags to riches. Someone in danger gets rescued. All those themes uh, are are true in the gospel. And they all come to their fulfillment in the resurrection in the resurrection but where we see these these amazing films where there's these resurrection where these redemption stories i beg your pardon none of them have a redemption quite like the resurrection of the lord jesus christ and the great news about the resurrection is that it's redemption for people who are a total mess it's redemption for people who make a mess of their lives daily like you and like me We're all like that, aren't we? We are all very aware of our failure. The relevance of Jesus' resurrection, it is that it's redemption for failures. Uh, Perhaps there's no bigger failures in the Gospels uh, than the disciples themselves. They saw everything. They got uh, clothed by Jesus' love day in, day out. He was so patient with them. And yet what do they do in his hour of need? They abandon him. And they abandon him despite the fact that Jesus warns them the day before, you're going to abandon me. And they say, we're not. Of course we're not. We love you. I think they mean it at the time. And Peter says, look, even if everyone else abandons you, I won't. I'm totally in this, Jesus. Have you not? Have you not said that? Have you not sung that when you're in church and you genuinely are singing your heart out for the glory of God? And then that afternoon, you massively let him down. It's good news. There's redemption for failures like me and like you. All the disciples threw away their right to be called Jesus' disciples. When he was arrested, they fled. They were ashamed. And what does Jesus say? Uh, Go and tell those uh, 11 chaps who used to hang around with me that I want words with them. Look at verse 10. Go and tell my brothers, my brothers, to go to Galilee and there they will see me. He wants to see them again, not to rebuke them, but to greet them as his brothers. And Jesus' resurrection means redemption for people who've messed up. And as a people here, we all have uh, secrets really that we are ashamed of. Well, Jesus knows them. Jesus knows your secrets and he's died for your secrets. We've been hearing that about the cross the last few weeks. Jesus died for the things that you've done that maybe no one even else knows about but he died for them and he's been raised from them proving that the job is finished and now even though you've let him down and no doubt let others down Jesus calls you brother Jesus calls you sister because he's died for your sins and he's dealt with them 
That is the gospel. And the resurrection proves that that's all happened. No resurrection. We'd be like, well, he said he'd forgiven us dying on the cross. How, how do I know? The resurrection is the answer. It's not just that Jesus is God. The resurrection is proof that Jesus' death has worked and that you're forgiven of sins. And now you are the brother or sister of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but there's more than that. It's not just for messes uh, and sinners. There's redemption uh, for the marginalized, those who would consider themselves second class citizens, outsiders, those who are overlooked. I wonder if you've noticed over the last few weeks who it is who's been around Jesus. It's not the disciples. They departed a long time ago. It's been the women who often would have been uh, looked down upon uh, in Jesus' day. Not because Jesus looked down upon women, but there's a sense in which misogyny is something that is in every culture across time and space. Men looking down on women or treating them as second-class citizens. Well, who is it who Matthew is really clean to give a good write-up in this gospel? We say Matthew. It's the Holy Spirit who's written Matthew's gospel as well. Who is, who is it who the Holy Spirit wants to write up and give a great report about? Not to say they're not sinners. Of course they're sinners. But who is it who's shown to be uh, models of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in, at the end of the Gospels? It's the women, isn't it? Mary, Magdalene uh, and the other Mary. But, but again, there's another group of people. Um, we're going to see next week why to go back to Galilee. Jesus is going to meet his disciples and uh, it's gonna, he's, they're going to be given the great commission. They're going to be told uh, what to do now. Jesus has been raised. But they're all told to go back to Galilee. Now, Galilee was um, somewhere unfashionable uh, in Israel. You've got um, Jerusalem down south within Judah, Israel less fashionable, uh, Galilee uh, less fashionable again, not a great place. That's where Jesus starts, uh, <coughs> where Jesus commissions his disciples. That's where he reunites with them, says, right, we've got a job to do. I'm going to start training you in Galilee. He's happy to go away from the city. He's ha happy to go outside the fashionable places. But again, there's more to it than that as well. Galilee in Matthew's gospel is <clears throat> known as Galilee of the Gentiles. It's sort of on the edge of Israel, but it, it, it's a quote from Isaiah's time. But this time, many, many Gentiles in the area. Again, Jesus' resurrection is for all people. It's not just for the keen beans. It's for all people. It's for people who are a total mess. It's for those who would have been looked down upon. The gospel is for all people. That is what uh, the relevance of the resurrection is. It, it's redemption for all people who will come to Jesus because anyone is welcome to come to him. I don't know if you're following the ashes at the moment. I hope you're not following the ashes at the moment uh, on your phone because it's happening right now I bet, I bet someone is but grace forgiveness um, but, but alongside the ashes at the moment if, you haven't, if you're not into cricket um, uh, it doesn't really matter there's been a report done commissioned uh, by the, um, the ECB the English Cricket Board looking into the state of cricket uh, in society and uh, this is what was uh, I, I, I read a report on the BBC Sport and this is what it said um, this week, the Independent Commission for Equality in Cricket said racism, sexism, classism and elitism are widespread across the game. 
They don't have to be into cricket to think, oh yeah, that's not good. And uh, of course, you don't uh, have to be into cricket to think, oh, that's that's a air of society that's completely out of step with everyone else in society. I imagine you might think, actually, well, that's a, not dissimilar to my workplace. Who, who knows? But certainly it's happening in cricket. Um, but, but in actual fact, all the commission really identifies is that cricket is played and watched by sinners who love to be cliquey, elitist, and discriminate. You think, where is that not human nature? It shouldn't be the case, but where is that not human nature? And here is what, here is what is being told to us in this account of resurrection. Jesus' kingdom is totally different. It's totally different because absolutely all people are welcome. His resurrection brings redemption for all people. And uh, in the way Jesus is resurrected, in uh, who meets him and where he goes, it Jesus' kingdom exhibits a diversity and a love that no human community could ever offer or succeed in. So the resurrection has great relevance in the here and now. We become Jesus' brothers and sisters, and this offer is open to everyone. But just as Jesus' resurrection affects our present, it also affects our future. And how is that the case? Well, Jesus' resurrection shows us that death is not the end. Death is not the end. Now, I think the reason why more of us don't fear death is not because we're so holy and have such a trust in the resurrection. That might be the case. But for many of us, I guess, particularly in this congregation, is actually we still feel relatively young. I uh, have a friend of mine and his uh, mother, he's about my age, his mother's been diagnosed with terminal cancer age 65. And still age 65, I'm thinking, that is so young. That is so young. We feel so young, don't we? And we feel like death is a long way away. And when people do die, they're not dying in our homes. They're dying in hospitals. They're dying in hospices. Uh, death is very often uh, far away from us. But in many sense, it shouldn't be. Ecclesiastes tells us it's, it's better, actually. Uh, you'll, you'll be a wiser person uh, that if, if you go to where people are dying than if you go to where people are born, because that is our destiny. And the Bible tells us that uh, what we are terrified of is death. In Hebrews, um, the writer of Hebrews says, we're not enslaved to death, although we are. We're enslaved to our fear of death. Uh, listen to how uh, one uh, nearly uh, billion uh, it's slightly tongue-in-cheek uh, the way it's written up but, but it's a true story uh, I can't remember who wrote it but this is what the author said there are a lot of details to enjoy in the story of Brian Johnson the middle-aged almost billionaire spending two million dollars a year pursuing eternal youth as described in the times this week johnson has received plasma infusions if you're not there i'll tell me afterwards i think i should get some um, from his 17 year old son Thirty-three thousand five hundred thirty-seven images of his bowels taken and tried experimental treatments previously only tested on mice but the one i like best she says i think revolves around his meal plan as a man who made 800 million dollars for the sale of his company to eBay, he enjoys a diet of brown sludge 
made of pureed vegetables, baby food in other words. Now, it's easy to laugh and mock at this guy, uh, Brian Johnson, but even uh, the lady who writes this article, she sympathises with him. Listen to how she finishes the article. Perhaps in his position, we might also throw money at the single insurmountable problem of life, namely death. Except, of course, the problem of death we've just read is not insurmountable, is it? Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has been risen from the grave and he's been risen not as a ghost, not as a spirit, but as a physical being, as physical as you or I are in this room. That is how he has been raised from the dead. Jesus has shown through his resurrection that death is not the end for him and it needn't be the end for us either. Now, it's not ungodly to be healthy at all. It's not ungodly to uh, eat well and exercise. But I do wonder if our part of being a wider culture that is obsessed with fitness, uh, the gym, uh, running, obsessed with body image, obsessed really now with healthy eating as well, does it show actually we've lost something of our hope in our resurrection body? It's so important that Christians realise that this life isn't all there is, that we have a future. This is being witnessed to me at the moment uh, by my grandmother. She's uh, 97, I should say 97, not out on an ashes morning. She's 97 and she's incredibly together uh, and with it um, uh, mentally. But life is really hard for her. Um, She's had to be in hospital this last week because the week before that she fell over uh, and fractured her leg. And most of her day is spent in bed uh, and not particularly comfortably. Uh, She has to be fed, she has to be washed, she has to be clothed. Even reading is quite hard. Just the energy involved in reading a book these days is quite hard. We all know there's only so long you can watch TV for without getting mind-numbingly bored. She can't live independently at all. And so from a worldly point of view, she's got very little to live for. But wonderfully, she's a believer. Uh, She's a believer in the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that means more than just to saying, I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And I know that God is with me now, as wonderful as those promises are. But it means more than that. She knows that her elderly, frail body will one day be given a youth, a vitality and a strength that she's never even had in her prime in this life. And because of the resurrection, her future is wonderfully physical in a physical glory uh, that we won't have known on this earth. And all of that's guaranteed because of Jesus' uh, resurrection. That is what we can look forward to. Well, finally, let's move on to the requirements of the resurrection. Again, I think slightly badly titled, I don't want to burden us with a crime and you've got to do this. It's more like we get to do this. What do we get to do because of the resurrection? Well, it really means we get to look forward to things. I have to say, I'm really bad at looking forward to things. How often say to me, oh, are you looking forward to this? I'm like, mm, I know it's a good thing. I'm just not really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm in the moment. It's quite annoying to her. She loves to get excited, look forward to things. But I think not looking forward to things actually is, is quite an unchristian way of looking at life. Christians should be people who look forward to things, particularly uh, promises Um, of the scriptures it is a way to live particularly when applied to the resurrection we're to look forward to the resurrection 
Now, in this passage, there aren't many commands. Obviously, the um, the uh, the women have have a job to do uh, once they've seen Jesus raised, but there aren't too many commands. But I think one of the the, the significant ones, or, or the key one, is this: they're they're told twice. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And we hear that from the angel in verse 5. And then we also hear it from the lips of Jesus in verse 10. He says, do not be afraid. Now, I think it's worth tracing through sort of the emotional journey of these women um, as they uh, meet the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So they come to the tomb and they're clearly not expecting to find what they do. And they see the angel, uh, again, heaven coming to earth, heaven breaking in, and they are terrified. They weren't expecting to see an angel. Uh, the guards, uh, a job that requires bravery, uh, toughness, knowing what's doing when there's trouble. Well, they're like dead men in their fear. So it was a genuine, a genuinely uh, scary experience. But they're told not to be afraid. And of course, they, they were afraid. But in this case, their fear is looking at an angel. And, and most of the time, someone meets an angel in the scriptures. The first thing they're told is, do not be afraid even happens in the gospel. So do not be afraid. They're afraid because they don't know what's going on and they're seeing this uh, creature, this angel, who is more glorious uh, than anything uh, you see on earth. So they're told uh, not to be afraid. But then they're told not to be afraid, not just because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to harm you, but, but look at what's happened. Look at what's happened. They're told that Jesus is risen. They're told to look at the evidence for themselves and not to be afraid. But interestingly, that's not how they respond, is it? So look at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. So they're told not to be afraid, but then they are afraid. They have fear and joy. Have they been disobedient? I don't think that's what's going on. You see, I think the fear in verse 8 now isn't that uh, there's a scary angel here. I think the fear is this sort of almost overwhelmed disbelief that they could, they could be experiencing uh, the most wonderful thing that could possibly happen. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Uh, they're joyful, of course, because it's wonderful news, but I think perhaps they're fearful because they're still like, perhaps we're wrong. Could this really be? It's that sort of fear. They're holding something so wonderful that they're worried they're going to drop it. And then, of course, they meet Jesus again and he reassures them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It is really true. I really have been risen from the dead. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be afraid, but rejoice instead because death is not the end. Now, we know from the rest of the New Testament that the lives of Jesus' followers doesn't suddenly get easier from this point. In fact, what happens to the disciples and the follow of Jesus is that life gets much harder from now on but there's still the same message do not be afraid so how is it possible not to be afraid when life is tough particularly when uh the cause particularly when life is tough because you're a christian and yet the lord jesus says do not be afraid i think it gets to the heart of what being a christian is or or, or should i say it gets to the heart of what diff- what difference being a Christian makes. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes a general letter to many, many churches. And this is how he opens the letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, 
he has given us new birth, and here's the key bit, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Now, Peter doesn't say this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us an easy life. I think that's often what we want him to say, don't we? But actually, he's promising something far bigger than an easy life. He's promising a joyful eternity that is valuable and precious and invincible. He's promising resurrection hope. And that is why Jesus says, do not be afraid. And it's amazing the difference that future hope uh, gives us in the here and now. I mean, it happens all the time in our lives, doesn't it? Just, just ordinary future hope of, of next week or next, next few months or next year can change our outlook on life here. So imagine two people sharing an awful uh, housemate. But one of them knows that they've managed to move out next year, only have to endure a little bit longer. Well, that's hope and it makes living in that house a bit easier. Or two people in dead-end jobs with a boss who's a real bully. But one of the people has been offered a job uh, at the end of the summer in something else. Makes it a lot easier, doesn't it, to endure that difficult boss for the summer. Two people in the same uh, bike accident, same road accident. Both of them have their legs broken, but one of them, not the other, gets told, actually, you're going to be okay. Your leg will heal and you'll make a a full recovery. Makes it a lot easier, doesn't it, to endure that time in a wheelchair. It's when the future breaks into our present, when the future promises are so wonderful. And that's what the resurrection should do for us. We should not be afraid now, even though there are many reasons why being a Christian is difficult. We should not be afraid now because the wonderful future that Jesus promises, the wonderful future that the resurrection brings. And so for the Christian, they should be saying to themselves, now is not the time. Now is not the time. Not in a negative way, but a positive way. So now is not the time. Not sort of, you know, what are you so happy about? Now is not the time. But in the face of disappointment, don't worry. Now is not the time because we have a great future hope. And to the person who's been wronged in a gross injustice, Jesus gives resurrection hope of a world of perfect justice. Now is not the time, but the future will be. The person in a difficult marriage, Jesus' resurrection gives us hope of a world with no arguments, no sin, no disappointments. Now is not the time. To the person suffering from physical disease, infirmity, health uncertainty, Jesus' resurrection gives us a future hope of a world with only perfect health. And to the person who is plagued by disappointment with their lot in life. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope of a world only with joy, only of satisfaction, of a world where tears are wiped away. For the Christian, the resurrection means now is not the time. There can be many joys in the here and life. Now, the resurrection doesn't mean life is rubbish at all. There are loads of promises of why it's a wonderful thing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ now. And yet we don't escape the fullness of our world. And even on top of that, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we face a marginalization from society. But there's a sense in which we can shrug that off. 
Life is not easy. But we can say, yeah, but now is not the time. But one day will be the time when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And like he was raised from dead, we'll all be, res- we'll all be raised from the dead with a wonderful future. And that future hope is brought into a present now when we cannot be afraid, even though we fear challenging circumstances, not be afraid because the future is wonderful. And the worst outcome of our fears cannot take away our resurrection hope. We start this morning by considering what is the best news you could possibly wake up to? Well, the answer, of course, is verse seven. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And we do well to remember that truth, to meditate on that truth every day. Jesus has been raised. To look at our life and the world through the lenses of that truth. Now is not the time, but one day it will be. And to apply that truth to our life in difficult circumstances. Jesus has risen. So let us believe our beliefs. Look to the future resurrection with the Lord Jesus Christ and not be afraid. Let's pray that God would do that work in us. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. Father in heaven, this is wonderful news. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that you are the one who has been raised from the dead. And now you are seated at the right hand of the Father on your throne in heaven. And one day you will come and you will raise us from the dead and you will wipe away every tear. Holy Spirit, we pray that the reality of the resurrection would take root in our hearts. Would it colour the way we see the world? Would it colour the way we see day-to-day experiences? And would we be able to say in all sorts of challenging and disappointing and saddening circumstances that now is not the time, but yet we don't need to be afraid because Jesus is risen and one day he will return to make all things right. Do this work in us, we pray, for our good and for your glory. Amen.